Well, some of you last week gave me a hard time about how long I preached. So, if you look at your outline, you know what? You can make fun of me, I give you more. 12 points. 12 point, 12 point sermon. So I hope you're ready. I uh, hope you brought some snacks. We're going to be here for a few hours. No. Um, actually, today you will see, uh, as we're going to go back to Philemon, where we've been for a few times now, uh, we are going to be looking at quite a bit this morning. And I'm not going to lie to you, there's going to be a lot here, but I believe it all meshes together so well that it kind of needs to be put together. Now, that being said, you in most cases, you go to a church, you're not going to hear a 12-point sermon. Uh, three is, is is usually average. Sometimes you get a few more, a few less even. Uh, so you're going to say, wow, 12 things that we're going to look at today as we get into the body of today. But uh, if if the time gets away from us, we can always split this into two. So don't be too afraid. But I am excited about what God has told us today through his word. I'm excited about what I have been given the privilege to be able to share this morning. And I believe that this, if we truly listen to what is being said even though I know it's a lot, in our minds at times, we might think that we can't, uh, our minds might not be able to come around to all this information. I believe that it, is, it can and it will if we only let the Spirit of the Lord change our hearts and minds as we look at His Word, and that's what it's all about. You see, our minds are feeble, but God gives us strength. The Holy Spirit is within us, and the Holy Spirit will teach us all things, and we know that to be true. So as we look at Today's lesson message, I pray for all of us that the Holy Spirit would make things so clear to us that we would make profound changes in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we see Him, and in the way we see the person that's sitting right next to you even right now. And so we are going to be back in the book of Philemon this morning, and I know not everybody's been with us for the last two sermons as we've looked at the book of Philemon. Um, It's 25 verses long, it's a short little book. Uh, we've looked at it, so I'll give you a real brief review of what we've looked at as we've looked at Philemon. Uh, so far, what we see, the book of Philemon is this. Paul, who is under house arrest, if we remember that, he's writing a personal letter to a guy named Philemon. And this this letter is a plea for Philemon to forgive and restore Onesimus, another guy, who is a runaway slave of Philemon. Now, this Onesimus, who has run away from Philemon, though, has been saved under the ministry of Paul. And so we see now Paul is writing this personal letter to a friend and a colleague, one who he respects, one who he loves. He's going to be writing this letter as a plea for Onesimus, another person that Paul deeply loves. And he's trying to make sure that they are going to show Christian love to one another, even though Philemon is going to have to accept back someone who has walked away from him and very likely cost him a lot of his livelihood as he left as a runaway slave. And we've seen so far in the last two sermons as we've been together uh, that Paul's letter to Philemon, uh, it's more than just this personal letter between two men. Although that is what it is on the surface, if we look deeper, we see that this book, this letter, tells us many truths about how we can relate, first of all, to God, but also how we can relate to one another. And that's where we're going to continue to talk about. The last couple sermons then we've looked at is this. First of all, we looked at how we relate to God. 
In three ways we, re- we relate to God. We relate to God as prisoners, that we completely submit to Him. We relate to God as laborers, that we work and labor for His glory, and that we are fellow soldiers, that we are fighting for against evil through the strength that God gives us. And therefore, it is a hard and not comfortable life, and yet it is a life that we are called to live And we've also looked at the sense that in each of these, prisoners, laborers, and soldiers, that we are fellow prisoners, fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, that we not, that we submit to God not only ourselves, but also with one another. That we work for God's glory, not just by ourselves, but with one another. And we fight against evil, and we fight for the glory of God together and not alone. And so we looked at that the first time we, we talked about Philemon. And then last week, we looked at how do we relate to one another. Based on how we relate to God, how do we relate to each other? And we saw this, that as fellow believers, we should treat one another with familial love. We should love one another as family. And we looked at that at great depth last week. And we see that Paul was a great example of this in his letter to Philemon. We see as Paul writes this letter to Philemon that he showed true love, family love, towards Philemon, towards Onesimus, towards all those who would be reading this letter. Because let's also go back and remember that this letter, although written to Philemon, was also for the whole church to read. And so what we've seen so far uh, is that uh, Paul shows us this, but now today... And we also saw last week that loving one another, by the way, is a natural result of salvation. That when we come to know Jesus, when we love Jesus, that it will cause us to love one another as brothers and sisters, and there's no question about it. That the two are not exclusive. That the two must go together. And so as we look at that, today we're going to move on. And what we're going to look at today... That as fellow believers, we should treat one another with familial love, but how does that look? If we are to love our fellow Christians as family, how does that really look? How does treating our fellow believers like family truly look? And I believe that Philemon highlights 12 characteristics that should be true of our love for one another. So as we go through these 25 verses, I believe we're going to find 12 things, and there's probably even more that you might be able to find. And as we go through Scripture, we could definitely find more than 12 But there are 12 ways that in Philemon we see that Paul is expressing and telling us how we should express our familial love for one another. And so we're going to take some time this morning to look at these 12 things. Some of them will hit really briefly. Some of them will cover a little more in depth. Uh, But I believe as we get to the end of today and we see these 12 things, and here's what I want you to be looking for as we go through these 12 things. Some of you are going to be very good at some of these characteristics. You, you will see yourself in it and you'll say, yes, I'm doing that. And, and God is using me in that way. And that is a blessing and that is great. And I want you to thank God for that because it's not of your own strength. It's through him. And, and so some of those you'll see. But then other ones you may see as we go through these 12 and say, you know what? I don't really measure up. I'm not really treating my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this way, and I need to start. And I would say, as we get to those things, remember those. Ask God to help you conquer those in your life so that you can love one another better. So each thing might not apply to everyone, and yet it might apply to someone. So as we look through these 12 things, my prayer and my hope for all of us is that we will be changed in how we relate to one another based on how we see Paul talking about relating to our family here in Philemon. Uh, And so, 
Let's go to Philemon, and I know we've done this before, we're going to do it again. It is only 25 verses, but each time we come together, I want to make sure that we have a full context of what we see in this letter. So let us read the letter of Philemon together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of of faith might become more effective through the knowledge of every good thing that is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I would rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness uh, would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you a while, that you would have him back forever." No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will repay, not to mention, not, not to, mention to you that you already owe me your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, also prepare for me a a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristocharis, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So I know that's the third time we've read that letter in its entirety. Let's look today at the 12 characteristics of loving one another, of loving our fellow believers. First thing we're going to see is in verse 4, where it says, I thank my God always. The first thing we see that if we truly are to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are to love our fellow Christians, we, Christ should lead us to be thankful for one another. We are thankful for our fellow believers. Christ should lead us to be thankful for one another. See, we are thankful for our fellow believers as Paul was thankful for Philemon. He looked at Philemon and he said, I thank God when I remember you. I thank God for you. And this isn't the only place in Scripture that we see this. And we're going to go through some verses today. And I've got them all printed out so we won't have to spend a whole lot of time flipping through. And I believe they'll be up there. That's perfect. All right, so here's where we're going to be. We're going to go to Colossians 3, 14 through 15. Colossians 3, 14 through 15 This is what we are told in Colossians, and Paul is writing this as well, but we know that all Scripture is inspired by God, and this is what God is saying to us. It says in Colossians 3, 14-15, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called in one body, and be thankful. 
Now, if we just take this out of context and we say, oh, he says to be thankful, you could say, well, you can be thankful for things, you can be thankful for whatever. But putting it in context, he's talking about love. He's talking about unity. He's talking about peace with one another. And finally, that we're called in one body. And then he says, in all of those things, be thankful. So my question to all of us today is very simple. Are you truly thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ? When you look around right now and you think about the people who are normally here with us that may not have been able to be with us today, do you find yourself thankful that God has put them into your life? Or maybe you're the opposite and you're thinking, man, I really wish I didn't have to deal with so-and-so. I hope that's not the case, but let's be honest, we're all human, right? And we all have things and people that we struggle with. And yet, are we thankful? Are you thankful for the person next to you? Are you thankful for everyone around you? Are you truly thanking God today for the people that he has put in your life in this body as your brother and sister in Christ? And if not, I would once again ask you to ask him to help you to be more thankful for those who are around you. We are called to be thankful. It's not an option. It is a command. And so that's the first thing we see, that we are thankful for our fellow brothers our fellow believers. The next thing we see in the same verse, in verse 4, is that we pray for our fellow believers. Verse 4, I thank God always making mention of you in my prayers. Paul is clear that he has been praying for Philemon. So then uh, we see this, that we need to be praying for the spiritual good of one another. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And This one we could have broken down a a whole lot. There are several ways that we can pray for our fellow believers. But I believe in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, we see Paul's example of what he prayed for. So we see here that he says, I'm praying for you. But then we go back to Philippians, and I believe we see a snapshot of how Paul was praying. Because praying is pretty vague here. You can pray about anything. You can pray about health. You can pray about uh, spiritual well-being. You can pray about... uh, Uh, being provided for there's lots of things you can pray for but how was paul praying for people well philippians 1 9 through 11 i believe shows us this this is where paul says this and this i pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of god This verse in Philippians is pretty simple. I'm going to boil it down, and it's pretty simple. We should pray for the spiritual good of one another. We should pray for the spiritual growth of one another. And that is important that we do that, the spiritual growth, that we look at the growth of our fellow believers. And I'm not saying that it's not important to pray for physical issues, for health, for being provided for. Those things are good to pray for. But ultimately, even in our prayers for those things, we need to season them with an understanding that we are praying that God will make other our brothers and sisters in Christ more like Him. That He would make people more like Him. And that would be the hope and the understanding as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the question then becomes this. Are you truly praying for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, in real families, in your actual family relationships that you have, I believe that you do pray for one another. But do you pray for your fellow believers, the ones that are sitting next to you, the ones that are sitting around you? And is it real prayer? And I would would say that too. Is it real prayer or is it just, oh, it just came across the phone tree. I'm going to say a two-second prayer. I don't really feel anything. I'm just going to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. 
That's not how Paul prayed. Paul prayed with passion for the growth of those around him. So that gets us to the third thing. So we're thankful for our fellow believers. We pray for our fellow believers. Next one is very good. We have faith in our fellow believers. Verse 5 and 21 is where we can get this from. Verse 5 and 21, we have faith in our fellow believers. Uh, And first of all, in verse 5, this is what we see. Uh, He says, "...because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints." So Paul is seeing Philemon's faith towards the saints. But then I think we see a piece of what faith looks like. Uh, and uh, this is what we see um, in, in verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know you will do even more than I say. Paul has faith that Philemon is going to do everything he's supposed to do as a Christian and more. He is believing the best. That is what he is doing. See, true love in our, in our family love here will lead us to believe the best of one another. And many of you know 1 Corinthians 13, 7, where in 13, the, the whole chapter is devoted to what does love look like. And in verse 7, it says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. See, love believes what is best. Now, some of our personalities, this is a struggle. Some personalities, we are just drawn towards believing the worst about people. Some of us believe so good about the people, but other people believe good about people almost to a detriment in the sense that you can be in the middle of a city and you can know that there's a crime ring in, in town and you still don't lock your car, okay? But that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about believing in your fellow brother and sister in Christ, believing the best in them, not assuming that they're going to fail, not assuming that they're going to let you down. Even when they do, you're still next time going to believe in them. And Paul believed in Philemon. I believe Philemon believed in the other people in his church, in the saints. He showed faith in the sense that he trusted that they would do what is right. So he believed the best of one another. Here's the question. Do you truly believe in your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you believe in them to the point where you will believe the best and not just assume the worst? You say, well, that's easy. Well, it's not. I know I've struggled with that at times, where you just assume things of people when you shouldn't do that. That's not godly. That's not honoring him. That's not true love. Do you believe what's best in your fellow brother and sisters in Christ? Next one we see in verse 6. Do we fellowship with our fellow believers? Verse 6, and it says here, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing that is in you for Christ's sake. Another word here is, is, is sharing. Uh, fellowship can be actually translated sharing, and it may be translated that way in your scripture because depending on what translation you're using. But here's the thing. It is the same word. Fellowship, sharing, it's all the same. But what's the point? It, it's not sharing like, hey, I, I, it's not like preschool sharing, like, hey, I played with the blocks for two minutes, now it's your turn. Okay, this is sharing in the sense that we share everything with one another, that we want to be with one another, that we share ourselves with one another, that you share yourself with me and I share yourself with you. Um, we see this in Acts 2. and we just Speaking of membership class, this is one of the things we just looked at. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46, it says this, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. For they were 
uh, they were taking their meals together with gladness and in sincerity of heart. In Acts 2, this is what we see happening. We see that people are getting saved, they're getting baptized, and then they're joining the body, and what they're actually doing is pooling everything together so that nobody would have need. They are sharing their lives. They are sharing themselves. Now, I'm not going to say at the end of this sermon that we need to make a circle and everybody empty your wallets into the middle and we'll divvy it out all evenly. I say that every time I teach membership. Okay, That's not what we're supposed to understand from this. What we are supposed to understand is this, that we are called to share ourselves, share our lives, have fellowship with one another. As we talked about last week, that starts with being with one another. You can't share without being with one another. So I would encourage each and every one of us to make sure that being with one another is a priority. That as we share with one another in fellowship, that we will be showing our love for one another. So in Christ, we should be sharing our lives with one another. There's no question about this. And also we see in Acts that they are going house to house. They're, they're taking meals together. This isn't just about Sunday mornings. It's not just about, hey... Okay, you need to have fellowship, so for one hour or one and a half hours or uh, three hours, whatever it is on a Sunday, you need to be here because that's when you get your fellowship. No, what we see the early church doing, and I believe what Paul would even say, is that as we share life with one another, life doesn't end when we walk out the doors on Sunday morning. Life continues for each and every one of us, and are we sharing that life with one another? Or are we just going by our own ways, come back on Sunday, say hi? I mean, how would that work in our real families? How would it work in our real families if we only saw our families once a week and said, hey kids, hey wife, love you, it's great to be with you, oh, three hours are up, I'll see you next week. It wouldn't work. And see, the thing is, if we truly love each other as family, we will be with one another, we will fellowship with one another, we will share our lives, we will share every part of our lives together. So the question then for all of us is, do you truly desire fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you truly desire it? Is that your desire to be with one another and to share with one another? And I pray that it is, but if it isn't, we need to repent. Let's move on so we can get going with the rest of these. Uh, We are uh, now on to number five here and letter E on your outline. The next thing that we see here is that we refresh our fellow believers. Verse seven, for I have come that you have much I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, is what Paul says in verse 7. And then over in verse 20, we read a very similar account. Uh, In verse 20, here's what we read. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Our love and unity should bring joy and comfort to one another. Philippians 2, 1 through 2 talks about this. Philippians 2, 1 through 2 says this. Herefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, that's talking about this love we've been talking about, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unified in spirit, intent on purpose. This idea of joy. Paul says, bring me joy. And here in Philemon, we also see that Paul says, look, you have brought me joy and comfort. And then he says, not only have you brought me joy and comfort, he says here in verse uh, 20, uh, that, he, that Philemon has refreshed Paul. I want to ask you a simple question. As you look at your life and as people have spoken into your life today, do you find yourself refreshing to people? In a spiritual way, do you find yourself bringing joy and comfort to those who are around you? And I, 
many of you know whether you do or not by the way that they treat you, by the way that they react to you. Are you living your life, your Christian life, your love for one another out in a way that you would refresh one another? Do we truly bring joy to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you one of those people that when you walk into the room, the joy levels down? And we all know somebody like that, right? Uh, Now, this is not a time to point your fingers at somebody in the congregation. This is a time for you to consider whether you might be one of those people that instead of bringing joy, takes joy. And I would encourage you to take steps of bringing refreshment to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, next, we see in verses 8 and 9, we see this principle from Paul. It says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is a principle we see through what Paul says, and that is uh, that uh, he is humble. We show humility to our fellow believers. We show humility to our fellow believers. Paul, who is an apostle, he says, look, I have the power and the right to say to you, Philemon, do this and you better do it. Because I'm an apostle and I could do that. That's basically what he says. But he says, but no, that's not how I'm going to treat you. He says, out of love, I'm going to ask. Out of love, because I'm aged, I'm old, I'm just a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm just submitting to him. And that, that is humility. See, Paul wasn't putting himself on a pedestal. He was saying, I'm going to appeal to you through love. And so we have to show humility to our fellow believers Romans 12.3. Romans 12.3 tells us this. For through the grace that has been given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so to have a sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. There's other verses that we could go to throughout Scripture that talk about humility, that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Christ-like love means that we will think humbly about ourselves in Romans 12.3. Christ-like love means we will think humbly about ourselves. This is one of the hardest things, I think, for anybody to do because as humans, we are selfish and we are prideful. That is the very base of all sin is pride. And so it's hard for us to break away from pride and to look at others higher than ourselves, to look at ourselves and realize we are nothing without Jesus and therefore we treat others with that humility. We treat others as we are less than them, as we, are, as we are nothing in the eyes of God and therefore we are going to pursue them through love. So the question is, is do you truly view yourself as no better than your brothers or sisters in Christ? As you look at your life, do you find yourself saying, well, at least I'm not like them. That sounds familiar, that was what the Pharisees did. If you find yourself doing that, then that's not a godly love. If you're looking, if, if you're listening to a sermon, there's a, here's a good indication. If you're listening to a sermon or, you're, or, or, or a lesson in ABF or wherever it might be, and you start thinking to yourself, well, I'm really glad so-and-so is here to hear this, you might be struggling with humility because maybe you're the one that needs to be listening. And I think all of us have done that. So are you truly humble? Do you view yourself as no better than your brothers or sisters in Christ? That's a question we've got to ask. Next thing we see is we forgive our fellow believers. Now this is verses 10 through 17. Uh, We've already read this. We'll read it one more time. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, whom formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your concern or consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. 
For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, uh, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Here's what we see through these seven verses here. In light of God's forgiveness, okay, we need to forgive our fellow believers. We forgive our fellow believers. And the truth of the matter is, is how can we forgive or why do we forgive? Well, we can go to Ephesians chapter 4 for that one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 32. Verse 32, it says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And many of you have heard the parable of the, of the servant who goes to the king and he has, this, he, he has uh, this enormous debt that can never be repaid. And he comes to the king and the king says, look, I'm going to forgive you your debt. And the same guy runs out and a guy that owes him nothing, basically. And he goes and he says, you need to pay me. And he, and he treats him badly because he will not pay his debt. And Jesus said, that makes no sense. And so as we look at this, the same idea, we forgive one another. And that's what Philemon is, asked, is being asked. Paul is saying, look, forgive Onesimus. I know he's harmed you. I know he's done bad to you. He's run away. He was your slave. And now I'm asking you to take him back, to forgive and restore Onesimus. And that's what Paul is asking. And that's what we all ask to do throughout Scripture, is that we are willing and ready to forgive our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when they wrong us. That when they come to us and ask our forgiveness, we are ready and willing to be there to forgive unconditionally. No matter how they've hurt us, no matter what has happened, that we are there and ready to, to forgive them for any wrong that they've done on us. And that is important, that we forgive our fellow believers. So in light of God's forgiveness, we should willingly forgive one another. Not just say, okay, sure, I forgive you, but then don't actually do it. Like, that's not the point either. Don't say you forgive somebody unless you really do where you release them from that wrong and you say, you've repented and I forgive. So we need to forgive our fellow believers. Are you truly willing to forgive your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe there's a situation right now that you're facing that you're having trouble with forgiveness. Let me implore you through God's word, forgive one another. Next, we see in this passage that we just read, we are useful to our fellow believers. Paul says, look, he... Onesimus was useless to you, but now he's useful. By the way, Onesimus, the name itself, the, the root for Onesimus is the word useful. So actually, it's a play on, it's a play on Onesimus' name, which is very interesting as well. But we see here that we are useful to our fellow believers. We are useful to our fellow believers. And I say, what does that mean? Well, I would say this. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, it's a passage that talks about our gifting. And it says this, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And there's more surrounding Romans chapter 12, and there's other gift passages throughout Scripture. How are we useful to our fellow believers? Well, it's simple. We serve one another. God's grace allows us to serve one another here in Romans 12, 6 through 8. God has given us grace. We have a relationship with him. So how do we become useful and not just sit around and be useless to someone? Well, we are useful by serving one another. We serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the question is then, as we serve, 
Do you truly, are you truly seeking to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you trying to get through this Christian life doing as little as possible to serve? And you might not even be doing that consciously. But I would say this. We are coming uh, as a church into a time we need people to serve. We are begging you to serve. But it's not just because, hey, come serve me. It's because we are calling each other to love one another so that we will serve one another. Maybe that's in one of our ministries. Maybe that's just in a personal way. Maybe that's going to the hospital and visiting somebody when they're sick. Maybe it's helping them out financially. There is a whole list of things we can do, and that's the whole point of gifting. All of us are gifted with different ministries. That's how God has set it up. But yet, we still need to be serving somewhere and doing something. So be useful to one another. Are you truly seeking to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ? Moving on to verses 12 through 14. And we've already read these as well. But in 12 through 14, we see this concept that we are selfless with our fellow believers. We are selfless with our fellow believers. We see Paul as he writes this. He says this, I would wish that Onesimus would stay with me, but nevertheless I'm sending him back so that you could send him of your own of your own will, basically, is what he says. He says, look, I want Onesimus with me. I love him, and he's been good for me, and I want him to stay here, but for your sake, I'm going to give him back. And that's what Paul says here in verses 12 through 14. And so we see that Paul is being selfless. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, classic passage on, self, on, on selflessness. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness, or empty, empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So we are selfless. Christ's humility should lead us to care for others more than we care for ourselves. Now this is a hard one, but this is what we're called to if we are to love one another as brothers and sisters What we will do is we will not be selfish, but we will be selfless. That we will regard one another as higher than ourselves. Which means we will make sacrifices and say, you know what, it's it's worth the sacrifice that I'm going to make for your sake. And that is what love looks like. It is being selfless for one another. So the question for all of us is this. Do you truly put yourself aside to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Some of you might say, well, I care for people. But the question I want you to ask, though, is not just do you care for people when it's convenient, but do you care for people even when it's not? Do you serve and care people even when it disrupts your plans, when it costs you money, when it costs you time? Are you willing to put yourself, your plans, your agenda behind you to serve your fellow brother and sister in Christ? Are you willing to be selfless? We all need to ask that question. Next thing we see in verse 16, and this a lot of times is where a lot of people focus when we go to Philemon, uh, but in verse 16 it says, to treat Onesimus no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, brother, uh, both in flesh and in the Lord. Uh, We need to be, we are impartial to our fellow believers. We are impartial. What's happening here is a beautiful thing. Paul is saying to Philemon, look, I know Onesimus was your slave, but now he's more than a slave. Notice he doesn't say he's not a slave anymore, but he does say he's more than a slave. He is my brother, he is your brother, and we are called to love him. And what 
See, because what the world would have said to do when Onesimus got back, the world would have said, Philemon, you need to beat Onesimus. You need to make him pay for what he's done. And you need to bring him back on as a slave. But what Paul says is, look, no, that's not what it's about. You need to bring him on as more than a slave. Yeah, maybe he'll still serve you. Maybe he'll still be your slave. But now you will view him as a beloved brother. Agape Adelpha. Loved brother. And that's the whole point. That we need to love one another. And the sense here is that it is impartial. And see, James 2.1 tells us this. James 2.1 says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Or with partiality is another way that it is said. Here is what we are called to do as we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be impartial. In other words, not have favorites, not play favorites and say, look, I'm going to treat you this way. I'm going to be selfless for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be thankful for you. I'm going to love you. But this person over here, well, I don't really want to do that stuff. But for you, I will. But for you, I won't. And we're picking and choosing. Now, in James, the context is is a, a, a poor man comes into the congregation and he's put in the back corner, basically. And nobody really wants anything to do with him. While the rich man that comes in is put right up front. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We are called to show, not have partiality, to not be prejudiced towards anyone based on socioeconomic status, based on race, based on, and I don't even like using the race, uh, ethnicity would be a better way to say that. Uh, you know, whether it's gender, whether it's uh, just personal differences, whether it's a political party, I don't care what it is. We need to treat one another with, impartial, with impartiality, that we will treat each other fairly and equally. That's the whole point. Do you truly love equally your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a love for everyone equally? Now, I'm not saying that you have to like everyone the same. I understand all of us have personalities that, that mesh with some people, and some people it kind of more goes like this. I understand that happens. But love is not, uh, is not conditioned by how much you like somebody. Love is conditioned by how much Christ loved you, and you're showering that love back. So we love one another equally. And that's the question. Do you truly love equally your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you show partiality? Do you play favorites? You know, I know in, in a real family, you know, you're not supposed to have favorite kids, right? I mean, a lot of us may have kids that we tend to go towards. But the truth of the matter is, when push comes to shove, we don't have favorites. We definitely don't play favorites, right? Okay, well, I'm going to punish you, but not you because I like you more. That's not going to happen. That's not going to work. That's not the way it should be. Now, in, in some cases, you know, only children, well, okay, that's a whole other story. They obviously are your favorite child, but anyway. Um, so, we need to not play favorites. Here we go. So, the next thing, uh, as we love equally, the next thing in verses 18 and 19, and we're almost there, guys. 18 and 19, here's what we see. Uh, if then you regard me as a partner, that's 17, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand that I will repay it, not to mention that you owe me even your own life as well. Well, what do we see from this? We are to be generous with our fellow believers. We are to be generous with our fellow believers. Paul says, look, I know Onesimus has probably cost you a lot of money, Philemon, so here's what I'm going to do. Anything that he owes you, I will pay. This could be a whole lot of money. And Paul is willing to pay that because he is generous. And remember, he's in house arrest. He doesn't even have as much as others might have, and yet he is willing to pay what needs to be paid. And so we need to be willing to give to one another. Second Corinthians 9, 7. 
Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We are called to give, and that is financially, and that means we have offerings, we have boxes, we have special offerings, we have benevolent Sundays, we have people in need that people will directly give money to. And Listen, I don't always like to talk about money. Look, the church is not here as a money-making machine. Okay, that's not what it's about. Uh, I am not driving a sports car and living in a mansion where you guys don't know about. Okay, that's not because we are not here to drum up money and say, hey, we need money for ourselves. But money does help ministry, right? Money does help things get done. And so therefore, it is important for our brothers and sisters. And like I said, maybe that's giving in service or maybe that's giving one to one. But we need to be willing to be generous to give to one another. So the question is, are you truly being generous to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you giving? And if you're not, then you're not showing the love that we're called to show. And finally, the last thing, the twelfth thing, here in verse 22, says this, At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. We are hospitable to our fellow believers. We are hospitable to our fellow believers. Um, we see that Paul is saying, Philemon, get ready to accept me. And notice he doesn't ask. He's not like, hey, you know, is there a way that maybe I could stay with you if I come back? No, he's just coming right out and saying, hey, prepare a place for me. If I'm coming, I'm coming. And the understanding there is Philemon is just going to do it because he loves Paul. And so are we hospitable to others? Now, I know not everybody has a house that you can have people over in. Some people live in apartments. Some people uh, live in a dorm. Some people uh, have houses that aren't, just don't work for having people over. It's not just about having people in your house. Uh, in Romans 12, 13, we're told this, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's going back to giving. But then it says practicing hospitality. We are called, if we are to love one another, to practice hospitality. Hospitality is really to accept strangers is to accept others it's to say look i'm not going to be inconvenienced by someone in my life that i'm going to do something whether that comes into my house whether that's another way that i am willing to be inconvenienced to welcome someone else and maybe that is your house that you need to be willing to let people into your house to fellowship with you maybe it's in other ways but the truth of the matter is brotherly love leads us to open ourselves to one another that we are open that just like our house, our doors of our houses would be open for people to come in, that our lives are open and that we will welcome people into our lives without any question that we would just let them in. That's the whole point of hospitality. So are you truly open to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you closed off and like, this is my life, you stay away. I've got, you know, this American mentality that we have anymore of, I'm in my house, leave me alone. But unfortunately, a lot of us, are we live our lives that way. Like, I'm living my life, just leave me alone. I've got my walls up, okay? Leave the walls. If I come outside the walls, then you can talk to me, but don't come inside my walls. Don't come in my bubble, okay? I actually had an example of this this week, just real quick. So I'm in my office, and I'm at my computer, and uh, uh, this actually never happened before, so it was kind of weird, but we were talking about Caden and Amy's wedding, and... Uh, I had to read, I was getting ready to read something and, and John wanted to see what I was reading and he came back behind my desk. Now, <clears throat> this is nothing against John at all. He was doing nothing wrong, obviously. But I got really uncomfortable. But you want to know why? Because that was my space. Like, why? Wait, you're standing over my back, reading on my, my computer in my space in my office. And I was like, 
man, wow. And then, but after he left, he was like, why would I even care? Who cares? It's not my space. It, whatever. So I repented and we're, it's, it's over, okay? And there's no, there, there's nothing lingering, okay? And I wasn't angry. I was just uncomfortable. But yet, that's how we live our lives, right? When people invade our space, we get uncomfortable. But yet, we're called to actually open up and let people come into our space. Let people into our bubble. So I will say, if anybody wants to come back to my office and just hang out behind my desk, you're more than welcome. Um, but in all seriousness, though, as we are hospitable to one another, that is how we show brotherly love. That is how we love one another as family. So let's conclude this morning. Uh, and hopefully in this conclusion, I mean conclusion. But here's where we're going. What we've seen is 12 things today. Our calling as Christians is to love our fellow Christians with familial love. We are called to love one another as family. Through Philemon today, we saw 12 characteristics of what this love looks like. 12 characteristics. We are thankful. We pray. We have faith in one another. We fellowship with one another. We refresh one another. We show humility to one another. We forgive one another. We are useful for one another. We are selfless with one another. We are impartial with one another. We are generous with one another. And we are hospitable with one another. These are the 12 ways that we can show family love one to another. So then the questions you've got to ask, all of us have to ask as we leave today. The first one is, do you know the love of the family of God? First of all, as we've said every week that we've looked at this, if you don't know what it means to be part of God's family, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you've said to him, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I know you died for my sins. You, you, forgive, you took my punishment for the sin. I deserve to go to hell, and yet you gave me your life, and I want to love you, and I want to come to you, and I want to give you my life. And then you will become a part of the family of God. But as many as received him in John 1.12, to him I will give the right to become children of God, like we said last week. If you have not done that, then you need today to get right with God and you will become part of the family of God. And if you want to do that, please talk to me, anyone who brought you, anyone who, you know, who knows Jesus. They would love to share with you how you can know Jesus for yourself and be part of our family. But then finally... What characteristics of familial love do you need to grow in? As we leave today, this is what I hope we're all pondering. What is it out of these 12 things, or maybe it's another thing completely different that you know is something you should be doing to show love to our brothers and sisters here. What is it that you need to repent of? What is it that I need to repent of? What is it that we need to do better as we rely on Jesus to help us love one another better? as we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us to understand how to love one another, what is it that he is saying to you right now that you need to work on, that you need to repent of, that you need to love better? And that would be my call to each and every one of us. And as you work that out, that you would ask the Holy Spirit not only to show you that thing, but also show you how you can overcome that and how you can truly love one another. We are not going to close with a final song this morning, so we're just going to close in prayer from up here. I do want to remind everybody we do have a family informational meeting that will be taking place out in the South Wing. Um, and we would invite you to that uh, for a quick lunch and also some information about what's going on in our church. So if you want to join us for that, we'd love to have you. Um, and as we do that, we would remember that we are coming together once again as family. Um, families need to communicate, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, But let's close our time here in prayer. Thank you guys all for listening, and I pray that all of us would be
fellow brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, that you've forgiven us, that you've loved us, that you've shown everything. You've given us everything we need for godliness, Lord. Uh, You've given us this family. That as we look around and we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, that you have given them to us. And Lord, I pray that we would have love for one another that surpasses anything we can imagine. That as you give us that ability, the authority to love one another, God, that you would help us to do that. That if any of these 12 things we looked at this morning would be something that we need to work on, that you would show it to us, that you would change our hearts, you would change us to be more like you, you would allow us to love one another even better than we already are. So Lord, I pray all these things today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless.